They're coming to get you, Barbara. To any listeners out there named Barbara, I apologize for any confusion. That was simply a line from the movie, No One Is Coming To Get You. Today we're talking about George A. Romero's genre-inventing Night of the Living Dead with a very special guest, friend and filmmaker Trevor Scary Boy Dylan. Trevor's two short horror films that he co-directed and co-wrote with Ian Hawk can be found on WatchAlter.com and Alter's YouTube page. They're called Foxwood and The Vicious, and they're very, very good. But before we get into it, I want to thank you for checking out the podcast. I hope you can join me in discussion for tomorrow's movie, Miyazaki's first film, Lupin Third: The Castle of Cagliostro. It's available to stream on Netflix and to rent on Amazon Prime and YouTube. Please email your thoughts on the movie to me at projectorfuel at gmail.com before noon on March 26th, and I'll read your comments on the air, and we can learn a little something from each other. Now, let's talk about Night of the Living Dead. Adam, ask Trevor how he's doing. Hey, Trevor, how are you doing? Good, Adam. Can you hear me well? Yeah, you sound great. So you picked the movie for today, Night of the Living Dead. Why did you pick that one? Well, you know, they call me a Trevor Scary Boy Dylan. Uh, I do enjoy horror films. I am somewhat of a genre filmmaker myself. Um, I think that this is possibly maybe the most, um, first of all, available movie to be seen on streaming right now. It's public domain, so almost every streaming service has it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think, as you know, like I said, a low-budget filmmaker, it's a dream. Uh, It started the genre of zombie, you know, whatever you want to call that. But it also kind of like made the survive the night genre really popular. Uh, The idea that characters can go to one location and then fight off the fiends from the film for 90 minutes. What are some of your favorite movies? Just to get a flavor for your tastes. I tend to like creature features. I love The Thing. I love King Kong. I love, oh, I love Psycho, not a creature feature. I like the film Apocalypse Now. My favorite film of all time is Jaws, which would be like the ultimate creature feature. If you had to uh, rank the Jaws movies. Um, I, I've seen the first one. I do like it. And I have not seen any of the other ones. Okay, so not like a real fan. No, I'm a, I'm a fake Jaws fan. I'm not a fan of the franchise, just a one-off. I also have never seen any of the Psycho sequels as well, although I have heard some of them are quite good. Okay, well, this is not going too well, but we'll keep moving forward. So what did you think of this movie? I think maybe you weren't scared. Well, by the way, what version of the film did you watch? Did you watch the 1968 version, the 1990 version, the 2006 version, the 2012 version, the 2014 version? Yeah, I was very careful on uh, Amazon to find the oldest one that I could find. So the 1968 one, restored, I guess, in 4K, right? Yeah, I mean, as restored as it can be for a movie that was made in 68 on mm. literally the most shoestring of shoestring budgets. Uh, did you find the movie scary at all? I mean, I know there's certain points that were, were supposed to be, I'm sure the audience in 1968 was scared, but I think like the stuff with like the little girl and the stabbing, like that's genuinely still very scary and disturbing now, but everything else is sort of cheesy. Right. I actually wasn't as afraid of this movie as I was, say, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where I felt an actual fear from what was going on there, even though I know that's an older picture also. But for this movie, yeah, it didn't really rile me up in any way, but I understand for the time that it was pretty groundbreaking. So a lot of the movie is exposition, a lot of like, this is what a zombie is, this is how you kill a zombie, and this is all the first time anybody had seen anything like this, so you have to give it huge points for being innovative and in terms of starting a genre that's still around today, being beaten like a dead horse or whatever that saying is, you know, there's so many zombie movies out that are still coming out today, and this is still top tier. Um, I think that the sequels, Dawn and Day, are probably better films than Night of the Living Dead, but those came out considerably further after these films. Right, and you mentioned 
that it was done on a, a shoestring budget, but there's a lot of extras and there was a lot of destruction going on in this movie. Yeah, and there was even stuff like the news footage that we were seeing. It's like they had to film that and then they had to like film within a film that and that, that costs money. Time is money. They had to do that with, I'm assuming, um, non-actors. Those are probably, if I had to guess, real news people around the Pittsburgh area that George A. Romero used. But that's not like cheap stuff. Anytime you see extra things like that going into a movie, although it was very effective because when they're stuck in one location in order to see the outside world, uh, the news footage was the only way that you could actually see the outside world. So I, I found that actually pretty effective and pretty innovative for the time. Right. I thought there was a lot of clever moments in the way that it was structured. We just get into the movie, the zombie attacks right away. Yeah. And that's arguably one of the scariest parts of the movie is the part of the, uh, they're coming to get you, Barbara, in the cemetery. Smart to start the movie not at the farmhouse. You start it in a cemetery. You make the audience forget that once we get to the farmhouse, we're going to spend the entire rest of the film there. Uh, if the movie had just opened at the farmhouse, it may have gotten tired very quickly. But because we start somewhere else, again, very innovative to just go to another location and stay there the rest of the movie. And you, you were saying that, too, this started a lot of the staples in the horror movie genre. And I think one of them, too, is uh, within zombie movies, there's a lot of conflict between the living, between the humans. And you can see that even here with uh, Harry and Ben. Night of Living Dead gets a lot of credit for being very political yeah people were like oh wow this is one of the very first political horror movies and now horror movies are like the best way to get out your politics while also you know combining genre i also think it's extremely smart from a a budget point of view you know you have the zombies outside trying to get into the farmhouse but you don't have the time and the money to show these zombies all the time so the other conflict has to come with from within the farmhouse so what are you uh, just a quick aside what are some of your favorite zombie media oh boy um i wouldn't say i really consume that much zombie media i kind of <laughs> i'm a little highfalutin when it comes to my horror films i actually haven't like i said i haven't seen a lot of the sequels of stuff i haven't seen basically any Friday the 13th sequels or nightmare on elm street sequels mm-hmm. i like to keep it classy when it comes to the genre but um i do love Shaun of the dead I think Sean that it's great. I actually just recently watched that. Dawn of the Dead, the sequel to this film, was probably the best zombie movie ever made, uh, especially for its takes on con- uh, commercialism. Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead is also a fantastic movie. It works uh, really, really well, moves very quickly. It's probably Zack Snyder's best movie. I would say that those are probably the top three zombie movies, Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Shaun of the Dead. So Ben versus Harry in the house. I like this conflict because I think you can, I, I was definitely siding with Harry in this sense that I'm a paranoid person so I would want to go into the cellar but Ben makes a lot of good points and I don't think they should have been arguing that whole time yeah I'm actually with you there too Uh, every time he said we should go down to the cellar I thought I mean what's the downside to going down to the cellar it didn't really make sense to me that he wanted to stay upstairs but you know he made some decent points again I wouldn't call myself a super paranoid person but to get furthest away from what's happening outside makes the most sense to me I like the fact that both of them were wrong either place they would have stayed and it shows in the movie they ended up dead it makes me happy that an actually very good young filmmaker like george romero got to this idea first you know like it's possible to think in terms of like someone maybe would have gotten to the zombie genre before george romero at some point i'm glad that this movie is actually as good as it is like i was watching it again today thinking oh wow this movie actually looks pretty good uh there's a lot of thrilling sequences like when they need to go out and get the truck um i just think the movie it's insane to say this about night of the living dead but it's 
sort of underrated. <laughs> like it's much better than it has any right to be. Do you think Ben is smart? I'd be hard pressed to say anybody in this movie is extremely smart, but from what we're given on screen, because they're being thrown into a situation that none of us would really be able to handle. Uh, maybe nowadays in 2020, people will be able to handle a zombie apocalypse because they've seen movies like this, but they did the best they could you know, under the circumstances. Right. At first, I was willing to call Ben pretty smart because he's setting everything up. When they're in the house and he's boarding everything, I'm like, this is the guy he knows. He's pouring gasoline on the things. And then he throws the couch out and leaves it on the front porch. And I was like, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, Ben would be the character in the movie now that would be like, I watched all of these zombie movies and I've read all the comics. I know exactly what to do. And then like the person doesn't really know what they're doing. And uh, I like the fact that they call them ghouls. Would that be realistic or would we call them zombies? Uh, we would call them zombies. But when they kept calling them ghouls, it made me think of a new Jarmusch movie, uh, The Dead Don't Die, when Adam Driver says they're ghouls. Okay, let's talk about that car scene when they have to go out there, the big sort of action sequence. Yeah, so the entire film is sort of set up to this one sequence. A lot of movies nowadays, modern movies, you would see them kind of try to accomplish a few different goals throughout the movie. This one almost leads up entirely to this part. Uh, and it is, it's, it's thrilling, man. Like it, it, it's like they, they set their goal on this one thing. They keep talking about it. And then when it finally goes down, it's, it's intense. They got outside and you see the zombies and stuff like that. Like it, I think that part specifically holds up really well. They do stumble a lot for me. Cause this was my first time watching it. And for me, there was a lot of yelling at them to tell them to go into the car or get out of the car. I love that scene because it's such a funny, weird set piece kind of towards the end of the movie where it's like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We are yeah. doing spoilers, right? Cause you're, you're audience is supposed to have seen the movie right yeah i mean it works out for some it works out for not yeah there you go yeah going back to ben so you said it was a political platform the, the way they rolled out this movie why do you say that well it famously was the first certainly genre movie to star an african-american actor um i mean and just the final moment of the film is extremely political to have you know we would see later on in horror films that the black character is the first to die the black character in this film was the that you would think would be the the last person to live but unfortunately at the very last moment we don't even get that we uh, we get the kind of that's the way life is uh, moment at the very end of this movie and it's extremely dark like it's an insanely dark ending and I, I'm wondering what Romero's thought process was in that because it could have been a very huge political statement to have the black lead live but I think it's is it even bigger statement that he doesn't live that he gets shot and you know at the end it's it's pretty incredible as Ben is leaving the basement and those people are coming to inspect the house I got flashbacks to uh, the ending of Get Out when he's confronted by the police car. I didn't know what was going to happen there. I also think the way that it was handled was almost a little bit of a removal from getting into some really political stuff. Like had he gone out there, whatever confrontation would have happened between Ben and the gun-toting folk. Yeah, it almost feels too, almost too cold at the end there. Like, like it's just like this long distance shot where they think they see a zombie and they kill them. But yeah, the I think Jordan Peele actually has commented that the ending of Get Out is very much um, inspired by Night of the Living Dead. As I say, a lot of horror films are. If you were in that situation, would you have yelled first? You were in Ben's position. That, that's movie magic magic in terms of just like that's just a plot device to have the the hick type person shoot him and then why do you think he decided to end it with a few pictures that's a good question what why why do you think he he did that i'm not sure it's just about dragging out the body and maybe it was sort of to like uh, make it seem a little bit more real like these were captured and put into the a newspaper or something does the end of the movie make it clear 
that they realize that they didn't kill a zombie because once they kill him they don't know he's not a zombie right so that's kind of this putting his dead body in the paper and the pictures is very morbid in terms of just like oh look at these zombies we killed it's like it's not, that one wasn't even a zombie but no one will ever know and it's also funny that this is sort of what set off the zombie genre at least as we know it today and these zombies are so different from anything that we see in the media now yeah as audiences in 1968 were probably terrified of how quickly they moved uh, towards people. You know, in the beginning, she, uh, Barbara walks by the guy in the cemetery and that's the only reason he's really even uh, able to grab her. He, he, she says later in the movie that she was going to apologize to him. But yeah, you see Danny Boyle with 28 Days Later kind of revolutionized the way that zombies move with the sprinting. And people will even argue that those aren't even zombies in 28 Days Later. Those are people infected by a virus very timely that can now sprint and are undead. So those people are not even called zombies, they're called undead. So now there's just two different, there's the old school folks who are like zombies move slow. Anything else that moves quickly is undead. So what is your zombie? I I think that, uh, you know, as a, almost 30 year old ADD riddled uh, millennial. I'll, I'll take those bass zombies now. I find that to be actually genuinely very intense and scary. Like if I saw a zombie at the end of the block, even I could outrun that. But if I saw an undead virus infected person sprinting towards me, I think that's actually going to make me, you know, pee my pants. So why do you think Barbara was so obsessed with lace? <laughs> Is this a is this a listener question or are you asking me this? Yeah, well, you, at one point, uh, Ben takes the tablecloth off and she like starts feeling it up, and then later on in the movie, she's like running her finger over this lace doily that's on the couch. Uh, I don't know if they ever comment on it. Maybe it was some sort of uh, past trauma that she had related to her grandma who had lace something or other, and she felt comfort in touching that. I'm not sure. That's pretty good. All right, let's talk about iconic these movies that uh, changed the horror genre forever. Obviously, this is one of them. What others would you say there are out there? I think the most iconic, influential horror films are, of course, this from 1968. And then you have uh, 74. You mentioned it earlier, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, 78's uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. 1999's The Blair Witch Project. 2004, uh, James Wan and Lee Winnell's Saw. That one's kind of, the one thing about all these movies is they all started their genres. They all have a DIY attitude to them. They're all relatively very low budget. I think the highest budget one on here would be Carpenter's Halloween, which I think was like $400,000. Everything else is way under that barrier. They show this kind of maverick young filmmaker or filmmakers in the case of Saw and Blair Witch Project. Creating genres is a huge deal. Like for Halloween, Slasher, Blair Witch Project, we're still seeing um, found footage movies. Saw had a big run there for about 10 years of the kind of the torture type movie. And then of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of, I'm not really sure what genre that would have started, but it definitely kind of feels very, Tobe Hooper went out to Texas. They made this insane, like I said, DIY movie and everything after that for almost 20 years wanted to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Do you think there's anything in the uh, tongue-in-cheek horror, sort of like uh, Scream or Evil Dead 2? Scream is extremely close to this list, for sure. Um, They definitely started the kind of meta-horror genre that we saw. Um, We don't really get a ton of meta genre movies like that anymore. Again, Shaun of the Dead is not too far away either as being a really, really good parody movie that's also just its own movie. You you take the zombies out of Shaun of the Dead, it's still a pretty good movie. Do you think that low-budget independent horror movies catch on more than, say, low-budget any other genre? Historically, I'd say absolutely. I mean, can you really name any actually real low-budget movies from any other genre that have 
caught fire. A few first films, I guess, of big directors. Yeah, I suppose those kind of just blew up those directors' career and had them go on to make other films. But Mm -hmm. like uh, in the case of The Blair Witch Project, or I mean, even to a lesser degree, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like Tobe Hooper had a career after that and The Blair Witch Project guys are still making movies, but they really exploded the entire genre. And then that didn't really lead to too much for those filmmakers afterwards. Uh, They really were able to make their mark on filmmaking in general with those two films so why do you make horror movies i make horror movies because the most pure reaction that i can get from an audience is that of fear i like to put a little bit of dark comedy situational comedy into my shorts uh, ian hawk and i make films together at ghost party pictures and we're, there's not a lot of jokes in our films but we don't take it too seriously but we do hope that it gets a nice jolt from the audience i personally can't watch our movies with an audience but he reports to me that they play pretty well right i think watching your movies there's always a specific turning point in them and I'll laugh at it not because uh, it's funny but because it's clever and it got me yeah I mean we make short films for now Uh, we're working on a third one right now and basically I've always thought that short films sort of need to have a punchline at some point unless they're like super avant-garde they need to have a turn somewhere in them that brings us to the end of the film quicker than a normal feature would you have a favorite short film I my favorite short film is uh, either Jason Eisner's Tree Venge which came out before he made Hobo with a Shotgun around 2010 or there's one on this website called Watch Alter right now. It's called Invaders. It's five minutes long and it's about these two uh, robbers on Thanksgiving who try to invade a house, just a random suburban house. And it's it's perfect. <laughs> I was just I was just tweeting about it the other day. It is absolutely perfect. Well, uh, I have some questions here from our audience. A Rihan writes in, uh, she wants to know which zombies did you find the cutest? She thought that the one during a jump scare that hit the window as Ben heard the doorknob rattle was a straight up cutie and the first zombie that comes through the boarding up of the windows. I'm going to defer to Re on this. Uh, I agree. That was the cutest, cutest Buddhist zombie. I didn't find any of them particularly cute. She also asks, uh, let me just quote her here. I don't think I've ever been to a Benihana before, but I think it's like when Barbara flipped the mutilated hand over with a fire poker and it ended up at the zombie's dick. Am I close? As someone who has been to Benihana many times, uh, yeah, pretty close. Uh, And also, Re, you should, uh, I don't know you, but you should go to a Benihana. They're very good. She also wants to know who names their child Satchel. Well, um, Satchel Paige is an extremely famous uh, sportsman from back in the day. So I guess Satchel Paige's parents. And then uh, one last one for you. Do rednecks use this movie to justify why rednecks are superior and will prevail in the zombie apocalypse because of their, quote, God-given right to have guns? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Ree is making a joke here, but that's, yeah, that's actually a very good um, observation. I think that it's weird that we do see a lot of zombie films do have that conservative tinge to them of like, here, come to my basement or whatever. Let me show you my millions of guns. We're going to do totally fine against the zombie apocalypse. I suppose there's a reason why The Walking Dead takes place in Georgia and a lot of these movies even Zombieland takes place in the South at uh, certain points. It's actually a really, really good observation. I like that. Hmm. Well, not to burst your bubble, but I got another email from Re recently that said uh, she watched the 1991. 
Tom Savini uh, directed that film, famous FX artist. Um, you know, that's actually not a bad remake. So, um, well, I hope Re takes some time to watch the 1968 version, uh, as I hope all of your listeners do. Uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts? On Night of the Living Dead, I think that this is a film that a lot of people say they've seen. A lot of people want to write off because it's public domain and it's old and blah, 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 blah. It's very, very effective. And I think if you give it the, like, what is it, like 80-something minutes long, um, I think that you're going to enjoy it overall. And I think that you're going to see the inception of what's possibly one of the longest running subgenres, the zombie genre in the horror genre. Something that is played out now, but it's nice to see the beginnings of it. Right. As someone who's never seen it before, I uh, found it pretty engaging and I was never removed from it because of poor camera work or poor lighting or anything like that. It was all just so well made and uh, it progressively got more interesting as more people were involved. Um, all right. So before we go, Trevor, how are you? doing with the quarantine how's everything going um it's going okay i try to get outside like four to six times i live i just moved into a new apartment complex and i i you know i'm trying to get like twelve and a half thousand steps in like i was doing before the quarantine today i took my first quarantine nap right after i watched night of living dead uh, it's been 11 days and i haven't taken a nap yet and it just all hit me right at once how you doing uh i'm doing okay i'm starting to get a little restless but maybe i'll try taking a nap yeah i mean naps will naps will do you right they'll fix everything so trevor what are you working on now and uh what do you want the people to see by you um right now in quarantine i'm actually working on a new uh feature script called bay cliff that is very much a survive the night movie just like night of living dead uh, it's based on a short film that i'm going to be shooting soon uh ian hawk my co-writer co-director and i are um, part of a thing called ghost party pictures and we have two short films that are on watchalter.com or you can just go to alter on youtube the films are called foxwood and the vicious foxwood we shot two years ago the vicious we shot last year like i said the third short is coming down the pipe let me know what you think of them you can always uh send me a message at trevor dills on twitter or facebook and you can follow us ghost party pictures at Ghost Party Pictures on those same platforms. But both are excellent. Highly recommend checking them out. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on here. And uh, thank you for all your support. And thank you, Jen, for all her support also. Oh, that's very nice. Thanks for having us on. I say us as if we're both in the room. But uh, thanks, Adam. Uh, we're big fans of Projector Fuel. And we're going to keep listening to the show. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thanks, you too. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and thank you to Trevor for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with him, and I learned a lot. Thank you for all the support, and thanks to Rihan for writing in. Special shout-out to my cousin Santley Rodriguez for succeeding in her life despite some hardships and for talking horror movies with me yesterday. She's taking advantage of the quarantine to watch all things Carpenter and beyond. I think we could all learn from her. A uh, final thanks to at the work of Rhea on Instagram for the picture in our profile. Remember to stay home and stay safe. Email us here for our discussion tomorrow on Lupin the Third. Hope to hear from you and talk to you later. Yeah.